0: I'm grateful for you, you um, are looking around and you may see some folks, uh, may not see some folks that you would normally see, and that is because we have some who are out today and we want to encourage you, if you would, um, as you uh, have an opportunity this upcoming week to reach out to them, Uh, I think uh, the Stuarts are not with us today, the Elliots are not with us today, the Kramers are out of town uh angie must be working uh and i'm probably missing a guy no gaze out of town brian i think is out of town so if you would just remember them and reach out to them through the course of this upcoming week and uh and encourage them and let them know that they were missed i want to ask you to do three things and we're going to try to move pretty quickly today uh, because there is uh, uh a lot to be said in a short amount of time to say it uh, i want you if you will to turn to the old testament book of Abaca. One of the minor prophets, uh, find them uh, after Nahum, uh, and Nahum, Abacca, Obadiah, and before Obadiah, I think it's right, but somewhere in there toward the end of the Old Testament if you'll find the book of Habakkuk. And if you would, turn to chapter 32 of Deuteronomy and put your finger there, and uh we will, uh, we will take a look at those texts in just a minute. Uh, you know, last week uh, we concluded uh, 34 weeks in Matthew, and uh, we extended our time a little bit, which means that we have three weeks now before we move into our Advent series. And again, I want to encourage you, if you would, uh, to pick up our Advent devotional. We look forward to beginning that together with everyone on December the 1st. Uh, but we're moving and looking toward uh, Advent and coming out of Matthew and so we have three weeks, and I was thinking through that because it was not a part of our original plan. Uh, how do we utilize these three weeks? Well, coming out of what we just came out of and moving into what we're getting ready to move into. And um, in our pastor's meeting on Monday evening, Mooney uh, made this comment, and it was the direction that I was heading. But I want to tell you, we just the way God works in us is... You know we've talked about the significance and importance of disciple making. You've already seen that this morning from the beginning uh, of our service. Is that what do we do during these difficult times uh, between the time that uh, we come to know Christ and the time that we the Lord returns, or the time until we pass away? What do we do with that time? And Jesus has told us clearly what to do with that, and that is to make disciples of all nations. So we're grounded in that. Mooney's comment was is tell me practically what does that look like for me and for us and that makes sense and that's the reason that our services were planned the way they were today to point us back to that uh, Adam has led us uh, through the course of that as we have looked at uh, what uh, Paul said to Timothy Uh, how we get that from Christ what that means in the way of His authority and empowering us in the Holy Spirit and then telling us that He is with us and He's with us in uh, the Spirit. Uh, Those of us who are believers who have trusted Christ we have the Spirit of God in us. Uh, All of those things are incredibly important as we begin to give consideration okay what does it look like practically for us in these days and So these next three weeks, I want us to look at that. But I believe that we have to give attention to our attitude regarding our present day and our attitude as we live in this day because today is today for us. Um, We're not looking back at a day of saying, well, if if I lived then, this is what it would be. We have to at least begin to formulate some idea of what our attitude has to be and we'll set our direction as we look at what disciple making looks like uh, for us. So this is what we want to do today. Uh, We want to look back in history about 500 years before Christ uh, and look at what Habakkuk had to say, what he dealt with, uh, and I want us to do that coming out of Jesus' own words when he said uh, that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go therefore and make disciples of all nations. We've already read this. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now we're reminded that Matthew was arguing that Jesus was the promised Messiah King. Sent by Yahweh to save his people from their sins. We have rehearsed that. Please do not miss that. To save his people from their sins. this saved people then become citizens of an everlasting kingdom that cannot and will not be destroyed. And of course, as we saw, all of this comes about in a very strange way. It really does. Hard to understand at times. God came from heaven to earth through a supernatural process of conception but a very natural process of birth, human birth and we refer to that as the incarnation God becomes man. Hard to understand. Doesn't make sense. Then we see the God-man Jesus live a very ordinary life He didn't depose the human authorities and establish his kingship and kingdom, as you would expect, by ordinary means. But rather, he initially influenced, back to discipleship now, he initially influenced a relatively small number of mostly uneducated men, most of whom were from Galilee, which was the armpit of Israel, out on the fringes, away from Jerusalem, away from the temple, close to the Gentiles, close to the Samaritans. And then as we saw, the next significant and hard to understand thing was that King Jesus was arrested and crucified by the Roman government. Though all of this was prompted by his own people. It was the Jewish priest, remember, who led the cry to crucify him. It doesn't make sense, does it? The next thing that is astounding is that three days later Jesus is raised from the grave by the Spirit of God. And it's this living, resurrected Son of God, the promised Messiah King that calls that same small number of men less one out on a hillside on a mountain and he gives them the command that we just read to go and make disciples of all nations. Now I don't know if you've been thinking about this at all, but all through the course of Matthew, and even as we move to our text today, this is not at all what we would expect in kingdom building, in empire building. Would it? Not at all. And once this kingdom-building ministry that Jesus has already established goes into phase two, if you will, the expansion that comes after Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit descended, descended upon them, the gospel spread and the church expanded and the world hasn't been the same. Making one disciple after another. One by one by one by one by one and we won't take time to look at all of them this morning but in preparation for today i went back and read all of the last paragraphs of the new testament books from acts forward and all of them point to in some way the continuation of that very work just take a, just take a, just take some time and go do that. Even in the book of Revelation, the last book, when you think everything has ended, here's what Jesus himself says. He who testifies to these things says, surely I'm coming soon. Amen. Come Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Think about that. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all Until when? Well, until he returns. And what do we do in the interim? We make disciples of all nations. We don't build our kingdoms. We build his kingdom. We don't work for our kingdom. We work for his kingdom. We're not interested in our goals and our work. We are interested in his. I want you to hold on to that because it will make sense here as we begin to uh, look into our text. Now, I said we're going back 500 years before Christ. But before we do, we need to look back a bit further. We need to go back to Moses, okay? And we need to look at his last days. And we need to hear what his last, some of his last words were. So, I ask you to turn to Deuteronomy, chapter 32. Find your place there, because I want you to hear I want you to hear this. And the reason I want you to hear it is because you're going to hear this language over again as we read through Habakkuk. Now, remember, these are some of Moses' last words. He brings everything together in Deuteronomy because he knows that his days are few. And he is giving these final instructions and saying these final things from him for those who are getting ready to go into the promised land. Remember, 40 years have passed. Uh, everyone who was 20 years old or older has died, with the exception at this time of Moses, Joshua, and Caleb. All the rest of them were 20 years and younger. So the oldest that we would have at this point in time, other than Joshua and Caleb, are about 40 years old. So just kind of look around. Some of you are 40 something. Okay, so everyone going into the promised land is your age and younger with children except for Joshua and Caleb. And Moses will not be going. And here's what he says in this song, and I want us to hear it and we won't discuss it. I just want you to hear the words, so follow along. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak. And let the earth hear the words of my mouth. May my teaching drop as the rain, my speech to still as the dew, like gentle rain upon the tender grass, and like showers upon the herb. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. The rock, His work is perfect, for all His ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is He. They have dealt corruptly with Him. They are no longer His children because they are blemished. They are crooked in a twisted generation. Do you thus repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Is not He your Father who created you, who made you and established you? Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your Father and He'll show you. Your elders and they will tell you. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when He divided mankind... He fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is His people, Jacob, His allotted heritage. He found him in a desert land and in the howling waste of the wilderness. He encircled him. He cared for him. He kept him as an apple of his eye like an eagle that stirs up its nest that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions. The Lord alone guided him No foreign god was with him. He made him ride on the high places of the land, and he ate the produce of the field. And he suckled him with the honey out of the rock and oil out of the flinty rock, curds from the herd and milk from the flock with fat of lambs, rams of Bashan, and goats with the very finest of the wheat. And you drank foaming wine made from the blood of the great. But Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. You grew fat, stout and sleek, Then he forsook God who made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. They stirred him to jealousy with strange gods, with abominations they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons that were no gods, to gods that had never known, to new gods that had come recently, whom your fathers had never dreaded. You were unmindful of the rock that bore you. You forgot the God who gave you birth. The Lord saw it spurned them because of the provocation of his sons and his daughters and he said i'll hide my face from them i'll see what their end will be for they are perverse generation children in whom is no faithfulness they have made me jealous with what is no god they have provoked me to anger with their idols so i'll make them jealous with those who are no people i'll provoke them to anger with a foolish nation For fire is kindled by my anger and it burns to the depths of Sheol, devours the earth in its increase and sets on fire the foundations of the mountains. And I'll heap disasters upon them and I'll spend my arrows on them and they shall be wasted with hunger and devoured by plague and poisonous pestilence. I'll send the teeth of beasts against them with the venom of things that crawl in the dust. Outdoors the sword will bereave and indoors terror for young man and woman alike the nursing child and the man of gray hairs I would have said I will cut them to pieces but I'll wipe them from human memory but had I not feared provocation by the enemy lest their adversaries should misunderstand lest they should say our hand is triumphant it was not the Lord who did all this for they are a nation void of counsel And there's no understanding in them. If they were wise, they would understand this, they would discern their latter end. How could one have chased a thousand, and two have put ten thousand to flight, unless their rock had sold them and the Lord had given them up? For their rock is not as our rock. Our enemies are by themselves. For their vine comes from the vine of Sodom and from the fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are grapes of poison. Their clusters are bitter. Their wine is the poison of serpents and the cruel venom of asps. Is not this laid up in store with me, sealed in my treasuries? Vengeance is mine and recompense for the time when their foot shall slip for the day of their calamity is at hand and their doom comes swiftly. For the Lord will vindicate His people and have compassion on His servants when He sees that their power is gone and there is none remaining bond or free. And then He'll say, Where are their gods? The rock in which they took refuge. Who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offering. Let them rise up and help you. Let them be your protection. See now, that I, even I, am He, and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive, I wound and I heal, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. For I lift up my hand to heaven, and I swear, as I live forever, if I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand takes hold on judgment, I will take vengeance on my adversaries and will repay those who hate me I will make my arrows drunk with blood and my sword shall devour flesh and the blood of the slain and the captives from the long-haired heads of the enemy. Rejoice with him, O heavens. Bow down to him, O gods. For he avenges the blood of his children and he takes vengeance on his adversaries. He repays those who hate him and cleanses his people's land. And Moses came and recited all the words of this song in the hearing of the people. Now, turn with me to Habakkuk. We're back 500 years before Christ. might help us to know a little bit of the history so we'll understand the context of the message we read what Moses wrote and said to the people before they ever entered the promised land he was pointing ahead to what was taking place when Habakkuk actually wrote his oracle even then Moses said God through Moses is saying expect this And almost verbatim, it is what Habakkuk sees and then what he says from what he sees. Now we don't have time to trace the history leading up to Habakkuk, but let's at least mention just a few things that will help provide some context. We recall that from the time of Exodus, it was roughly about 300 years before Israel's first king. So from the time of the Exodus... 300 years and then Saul was anointed and he ruled 40 years and then David came after him and ruled 40 years and then David's son Solomon came after him and ruled 40 years so there were a 120 years span there between the three kings but after Solomon died we know that the kingdom split his son Rehoboam ruled and reigned in the southern kingdom, but Jeroboam, not related to any of them family-wise, led out and ruled in the northern kingdom. And that was kind of the beginning of the demise of, of Israel as a whole. They warred back and forth. Most of the time their allies were the enemies of their brothers. It was just a mess after that. And there are a whole lot of reasons behind that, and we won't go into that, but the northern kingdom lasted about 200 years and that was all the Assyrians came in and if you'll go back and look at world history you will know that the Assyrians reigned and ruled and they were the world power for about a thousand years and in 722 BC they laid siege to the northern kingdom and it was there that the northern kingdom was finally uprooted uh, and destroyed And the Assyrians continued to oppose uh, the southern kingdom, and they posed a threat to them. And we only have to go back and look at 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and 2 Kings chapter 18 and 19, and we can look at the prophet Isaiah, when Hezekiah was ruling and reigning in the southern kingdom, Assyria was seeking to lay siege. In fact, it wasn't seeking to lay siege. It had laid siege to the city of Jerusalem, About six years, seven years after the northern kingdom had fallen, Hezekiah was afraid. He didn't know what to do. He was going to give up. God, through the prophet Isaiah, said, Do not give up. Do not turn away. Don't turn back. Don't fight them. Let God deal with this. And Hezekiah finally came, gave into it. And we, we read uh, in 2 Chronicles and in 2 Kings that he and Isaiah prayed. And I love it when it says they prayed together and they asked for deliverance. And God sent that deliverance. And one night, an angel of the Lord came and destroyed 185,000 Assyrian troops. They had laid siege to the city. They were ready to take it. They were going to destroy Jerusalem and in taking Jerusalem, the southern kingdom would be gone. I've tried to picture what it would be like to wake up that morning on the watchtowers after you had been watching all night and you couldn't see anything but the fires of the camps that had been scattered around waiting to come in and to destroy. And as daylight came, they looked out over the course of the landscape. And you know what those watchmen saw? 185,000 dead bodies strewn around the city. The angel had come and had done the work that God intended them to do and they were spared. The Assyrians lasted for about another hundred years before the Babylonians who had been ruled by the Assyrians. The Babylonians came and destroyed the city of Nineveh. And it's at this time that all of this begins to unfold and take place and it's at this time and in this context and in this course of history that Habakkuk is given a vision. I want to give you seven things. You may want to jot these down and I'm going to try to work, work through these and I want you to find these connections and see these connections as we work our way through these three chapters. One God's work is astounding in every way. God's work is astounding in every way. His timing is astounding. And his methods are astounding. So God's work is astounding in every way. Two, God is sovereign and is actively involved in judging the unrighteous. God is sovereign and is actively involved in judging the the unrighteous God is sovereign and is actively involved in saving his people he is sovereign and actively involved in saving his people there's nothing passive about God now now please remember that today there is nothing passive about God the righteous shall live by faith the righteous shall live by faith that's point number four People of faith will rejoice, people of faith will rejoice even when what they are experiencing seems inconsistent with what they know about their God. People of faith will rejoice even when what they're experiencing seems inconsistent with what they know about God. Six, people of faith point others to see the coming judgment of God. People of faith point others to see the coming judgment of God and the saving grace of God. That's what people of faith do. I hope now you're already getting a feel for this may have something to do with disciple making. This may have something to do with with proclaiming the gospel, because it does. And then number seven, the prideful will die and be eternally judged. So number four, the righteous shall live by faith. Number seven, the prideful will die and be eternally judged. Let's look and read the first four verses of chapter 1. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. I'm going to pause there. So I want you to go ahead and see. Habakkuk saw something. In fact, if we look back over there if you'll flip real quick uh, over to chapter 2 and verse 2 you'll see God tells him to write a vision to write the vision. In other words, I'm going to give you a vision. I want you to write down what you see. Already this oracle, this burden, if you will, is a burden that he has that has come from what he has experienced. We'll see. And what he sees. God lets him see something that burdens him deeply. This is going to sound a bit different than the other prophets, because we're not hearing immediately, thus saith the Lord. We're not hearing that He has given me a vision. None of this. This begins in the groundwork of one who knows God, who is looking to God to do something in the course of his days, but he sees nothing happening. So listen to what he said. He said, O oh Lord... For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. The prophet begins as I said in a unique way. Begins with Habakkuk looking at the conditions of his day and his culture. And he is not looking at the outside influences. He is looking inwardly at his own people. And what does he see? He sees violence. He sees corruption. He sees thievery. He sees political corruption. He sees all of these things. He sees those who should be being cared for, being abused. And he says justice is not served. And he says, God, I have cried out to you And I've heard nothing. And I have looked to you to work and to save. But I have not seen anything. He said, I've not seen anything. At least in his mind, it appeared that maybe God wasn't concerned. I was thinking about this in the course of our own lives. What are your thoughts about our own culture? And about our nation? I've had similar pleas. I've looked and seen the same thing. You and I have. I wonder if your thoughts are similar to Habakkuk's. We certainly see the internal strife that exists in our nation. We're not talking about China. We're not talking about some foreign power and some foreign president. We're not even talking about people crossing the border to come here hopefully for some kind of help and relief. That's not what we're talking about. We just see in the course of our own culture this degradation This sinfulness and this internal strife. We see and hear about horrific violence every day almost. Not uncommon. Reports of acts of violence and hatred. We see the politicians who we may believe are in power for their own profit. And we wonder, why does God let it go on? You ever wondered that? Why does God let it go on? These are not new questions for us. They're real. They surface regularly for anyone who cares. Especially when we experience something in our own home or family and we wonder, why has God not intervened? Why has He let this go on? When we see the corruption of the church, why has God let this go on? When we see the destruction that comes with with false gospels and false churches. Why does God let that go on? It is not helping our condition. It's not helping our situation. And notice what God answers Habakkuk. Look in verse 5. He tells him to look. He says, look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Now I want to pause there just a minute. I already said, God does work in astounding ways. His timing is astounding. His methods are astounding. We were just rehearsed that just a moment ago in looking at the Gospel. If we were thinking about God going to establish a kingdom, would we expect Him to send His Son, God incarnate, leave in heaven to come here? And and even if He did do that, wouldn't we expect Him to come in and just take over? But that's not what He did. And we know that's not what He did. The Gospels tell us that's not what He did. And we stand amazed at the Gospel. We stand amazed at the grace of God. We stand amazed at the timing of God. We stand amazed and astounded because that's the way God works. And He tells Habakkuk, He said, Stand amazed and astounded because you are not even going to believe what I am about to tell you. And surely before the next words come out of his mouth, there is probably some sense of great hope that Habakkuk has that, okay, God is getting ready to drop the bombshell on all this. And he is. He said, for behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans. I'm raising up the Babylonians. And immediately, and we're going to see this in just a minute, immediately it just washes over Habakkuk. He said, I'm raising up the Chaldeans. And now listen at God's description of these people that he's raising up to take care of this justice and this judgment that Habakkuk knows needs to come. He said, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breath of the earth to seize dwellings not their own in other words to steal and to plunder they are dreaded and fearsome their justice and dignity go forth not from god but from whom from themselves their horses are swifter than lepers more fierce than the evening wolves their horsemen press proudly on Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like eagles swift to devour. They all come for violence. All their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress. For they pile up earth and take it. In other words, they build ramparts to lay siege, and nothing stops them. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men. And here was the clincher for Habakkuk. God said, whose own might is their God? They're not worshiping God. God's not their God. What's their God? Their own military power, their own force, their own strength, and they are prideful in it. And then notice what Habakkuk says. It's like, God, I can't believe this. Are you not from everlasting? Oh, Lord, my God, my Holy One. We shall not die. Oh, Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment. And you, O oh rock. Remember Moses' words? Rock, pointing back to the rock. He said, you, O oh rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? He is in a dilemma. He cannot believe what he has just heard from God. You, O Holy One, are raising up a rebellious, hateful, hatred kind of people to come and judge your people who, granted God, I know are not righteous because I'm here telling you now we've got problems. But you're going to use a nation like this to judge your people? Now listen to what he says. He says, you make mankind like the fish of the sea. Like... Crawling things that have no ruler. In other words, you're, 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 just, you're abandoning us in some way. And then he turns his attention, Habakkuk turns his attention to begin to speak of the Chaldeans and the Babylonians. You make mankind, and he said he brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out of his net. He gathers them in his dragnet so he rejoices and is glad. And then he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. In other words, they worship their own strength. He said, These are the people that you're going to use to judge us. They live in light, they live lives of luxury because of all that they have stolen and all that they have destroyed. Is he speaking of Babylon? Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? And that was Habakkuk's remarks. He said, I can't believe this, God. I can't believe this. I can't believe what I'm hearing. He said, and he's not saying this in pride, mind you. He is trying to get his mind around it. He said, I'll take my stand at my watch post. And I'll station myself on my tower. And I'll look out to see. Remember the, the watchman on the walls of Jerusalem? He said, I'll look out to see what He'll say to me and what I'll answer concerning my complaint. And then let's hear what God has to say. It's incredible. Listen, and the Lord answered me. He positioned Himself and said, I'm going to wait until I hear from you, God, because I can't believe what I'm hearing. And then God said, write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. You know what he's saying? He said, Habakkuk, I'm getting ready to show you something. You write it down. And you make sure that everyone gets it. You make sure that Oak Valley Church has it in 2022 so that when they hear this message, they can run from what I'm going to show you is wrong and so that they will run to what I'm showing you is right. And then he said this, For still, the vision awaits its appointed time. It's not yet going to come, but it's going to come in your lifetime. He said, for, the, for the, still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. I want you to get a sense of that. You wait. You hold on. Don't you look away from this. Because this is coming. And then he says this. Behold, this is God. He said, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. I want you to hold on to that a minute. We're going to come back to it. But we made the point that the righteous shall live by faith and the prideful will die and spend eternity in judgment. I want you to know here that this is a transferable principle because nowhere else as I read through this and kept looking, I don't hear anything else about Babylon. It's not pointing to Babylon. It's not pointing to the Babylonians. It's not pointing to the Chaldeans. It is pointing to everyone because He said, what I'm going to write you, you write down. What I'm giving you, you write down. And you make sure that everyone hears it so they can run from it. Run from what? Run from whatever it is that ultimately is going to be the cause of their judgment and run to me because the righteous shall live by faith. Now, listen to what he has to say. He says, Moreover, wine is a traitor. Now, I want you to pinpoint this because it is not talking about the drinking of alcohol. He's using this as a picture. Wine does what to people? Wine causes them, if they have too much of it, to do things, to say things, to think things that they wouldn't otherwise say, think, or do. That's the reason that someone who is inebriated thinks that they can drive around a curve at 150 miles an hour and all will be fine. And it doesn't happen. Why? They get full and drunk on this. It says, moreover, wine is a traitor an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as sheol, like death. He has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. In other words, he's saying, Habakkuk, pay attention that kingdom builders that ultimately are not building my kingdom are operating out of pride. Kingdom builders that are building names for themselves. Kingdom builders that are establishing nations. Kingdom builders that are gathering up riches for their own sake to fulfill their own hopes and dreams. Kingdom builders who are not seeking to bring honor and glory to me. At whatever level that kingdom is, this is where it becomes kind of universal across here. He said, understand that they are gathering up Things and, pride. and now he's getting ready to cast down some woes on that. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own for how long and loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtor suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then... You will be spoiled for them. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the people shall plunder you for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to the cities, and all who dwell in them. In other words, the prideful are doomed. Whoever that is, if that's you, if it's me, whatever it is, that, that is not for the glory and the honor of God above everything else. Be it big or be it small, they're doomed. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You've devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life. In other words, you've given over your life to these things. For the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, it is not for the Lord of hosts that people labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing. In other words, if it is not for God, what is it? It is for destruction. And all the while, they're drunk in their pride thinking that all is well. I want you to think about the day that we live in. A lot of people look at it in a lot of different ways. But the majority of the people living in this land, in this United States, okay, our nation, and in our culture, most of them, most of them, while they find fault with things that maybe are going on, enjoy what? Enjoy some degree and level of prosperity. And somehow, Find a way to accommodate everything else because all is good for them. That's what Habakkuk saw. His people were living in prosperity while some were suffering and struggling, and all of this injustice was going on, and all for the sake of continuing to push this agenda of what? Kingdom building gathering up more bringing it in and God said it is not from the Lord it's not from the Lord it is not for my glory even and everything that isn't done for the glory of God is for destruction if you underline if you write down in your Bible I want to tell you catch verse 14 Because it's in the middle of this that God sends this great word of hope. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now Habakkuk is listening to this coming from God and all of these things are true and then yet in the middle of that what do we hear? We hear that the kingdom of God is being built and it will not be destroyed and it will outlast. It necessarily will because it's His. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And part of the reason that this is true, part of it, is because Habakkuk is writing down what he sees so that this word can go out so that all of those who will hear and take heed will run from pride and run to the Lord God when we're talking about our attitude in regards to dealing with and living in our culture and in our day, it should be to proclaim because the kingdom of God is going to spread and there is nothing that can be done about it. And as believers, that is our work. That is our calling. That's the reason He says make disciples of all nations and anything else ultimately that we are about, anything else that takes priority in our lives, anything else that captures our mind and our heart that keeps us and prevents us from doing that is not for God's glory and it will be destroyed. All of our buildings, all of our houses, all of our things, all the stuff that we have will be gone. And then He goes on and He says, and woe to Him who makes his neighbors drink. In other words, this man is drunk on his own pride, and now he makes his neighbors drink from this pride. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. In other words, you are trying to strip everybody else down for your own good. And you'll have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself. And show your uncircumcision. And then listen. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you. And utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you. As will the destruction of their beasts that terrified them for the blood of man and the violence to the earth, to the cities and all who dwell in them. What profit? is an idol. Think back about Deuteronomy 32, about all these gods that Moses had already prophesied would be made. What prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies? For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake to a silent stone, arise! Can this teach... Can this stone teach us anything? Behold, it's overlaid with gold and silver and there's no breath in it at all. Verse 20, listen, get it. But the Lord is in His holy temple. Let the earth keep silence before Him. Why? Because He has something to say. Because He can speak. He does work. He does do. In other words, stand in awe of Him and listen to Him. I want us to quickly read through chapter 3 and I want to make a couple of points and we'll close. What happens to Habakkuk when he sees this? He prays. He prays. And his prayer is a transferable prayer that is to be sung. And this is where it comes that Habakkuk comes face to face with the glory of God and all that he is doing. That which he did not understand, he now understands. That which he did not know, he now knows. That which he just couldn't believe, he now believes. And he says, Oh Lord, I've heard the report of You and Your work O oh Lord, do I fear? Not asking a question. He's saying, I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. In other words, God, I'm hearing this. I see it. I get it. Please be merciful. God came from Timon. And the Holy One from the mount. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light, rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. And then his judgment comes. Before him went pestilence. Recall Deuteronomy 32. Before him went pestilence, and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were. Shattered. The everlasting heels sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Kushan in affliction and the curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers as your indignation against the sea? When you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation, you stripped the sheath from your bow Calling for many arrows. Catch this. This is God who is getting ready to weld judgment. And He is doing it with His arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed in the raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and the moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped at the flash of your glittering spear. This is God welding all of these, bringing about His judgment. He is active here. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. Now catch this. Underline this verse. You went out for salvation for your people for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. Whose head was he crushing? Remember, this is universal. This isn't just Babylon. Babylon represents everything that has stood in pride and every person that has ever stood in pride against God. Here he is crushing the head Of the serpent as he promised in Genesis chapter 3 and notice how he does it catch this you pierced with his own arrows his own arrows the head of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret what has God done in Christ He destroyed death. But how did He destroy death? With death. By death. Don't you get it? The very thing that came in sin was death. God works in astounding ways. He takes that same death and puts it on His Son to do what? To destroy death. And then raises Him up You trampled the sea with your horses the surging of mighty waters. And then, listen to the closing statements. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet, I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. I will wait, God, for your destruction of them knowing that they are going to also destroy us. And I'm afraid... Just to give fault of your judgment causes me to tremble. But I'll wait. I'll wait. And here's what he says. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. In other words, when everything is completely decimated, when the economy fails, when the outside forces have come in and laid us waste, when we no longer have freedom, we no longer have our identity, when we are completely crushed and beat down to where there is nothing for us to be proud of but you. Is what he's saying. When the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls... Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's and He makes me tread on high places. How will you Make it through all of this. that's coming ahead. What are you banking on? We will go back to this next Sunday. But chapter 2 and verse 4 tells us that the righteous... Shall live by faith. And that means at least three things. It means at least that our hearts have been awakened by the glory of God Himself to make us alive to believe and live. It means at least those who are awakened in that way will seek. To live faithfully, live out of faith, and live in the context of faith. And it will mean that they will be saved for all eternity and live.